You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 83 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And once again this week, we make absolutely no apology for devoting the bulk of this week's episode to items relating to the coronavirus 12ID19. So, coming up this week, we begin with a set of questions which you've sent in to us about the coronavirus and how exactly it affects GDPR. We then look at the questions that arise from the government, the UK government, sending coronavirus messages to devices without consent. We then have a look at some updated corona guidance from the Information Commissioner's Office from the ICO. We then look at the fact that many of you will be emailing your customers about how the coronavirus is affecting your business. So what should you and shouldn't you put in that email and any other things that you need to bear in mind. We then look at employee patient privacy under GDPR and in relation to the coronavirus. We then look at will the UK government use mobile phone data to track movements and contacts of those people identified as having the COVID-19 virus. And finally, just to get away from Corona for one part of this episode, we have news of a data breach at Norwegian Cruise Lines. So as I say, we make no apology for being heavily Corona-biased this episode, and it really is occupying most people's minds at the moment, and so we felt it appropriate to dedicate most of the time on this episode to it too. And indeed, we've set up a special email address. If you have any queries about Corona and GDPR, then please just drop a line, drop an email to corona at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. And we'll do our best to help you and or include the solution in an upcoming episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So we begin this week with a set of questions which you have been sending in to us. And as always, if you have any questions, particularly about how coronavirus or COVID-19 affects GDPR, then please do send them in to us. Drop us an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. And we'll do our best to answer them in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. So the questions that you put forward this week are, does the COVID-19 state of emergency override GDPR? Well, the answer to this is no. Although the COVID-19 pandemic pandemic has provided the first time that Article 6.9.1 of the GDPR regulation has been activated. So what does this mean in practice? Well, it means that companies and organisations may need to keep additional sensitive house data on individual employees and use the powers inferred under Article 6.9.1, which means that the companies can hold this additional health information under the basis of vital interests and therefore without the employee's specific consent. Such data processing may not be lawful without such a public health risk. In order that businesses can prove the lawfulness of data processing to supervisory authorities retrospectively, they should fulfil their accountability duty under Article 5, Paragraph 2 of GDPR. 
In particular, if you are holding extra health information on employees, for example those employees who are self-notified and are in isolation, then your decisions with reference relevance to GDPR must be justified and documented. In cases where health data is disclosed to third parties, whether that's your business insurers or a government agency, this needs to be justified and documented appropriately. What this means in practice is that you should document your decision to record or share this data and you should store this documentation with the rest of your GDPR procedures and have a document available for audit at a later date if required. Next question. Are we allowed to check the body temperature of our employees? The answer to this is yes. You can also choose to record this information using the provisions described in our previous answer. You should only retain this information for as long as necessary, i.e. for the duration of the current COVID-19 pandemic. Next question. Are we allowed to inform our employees about infected colleagues by naming them? This is the most definite no. While you will obviously wish to inform employees that one of their colleagues has contracted the virus, you should not name the individual. Naming the individual would be a serious breach of GDPR and could lead to a penalty and indeed you may then find yourself needing to pay damages to the individual involved. So let's look at an example of this. You could, for example, issue an email to everyone in your company telling them that a member of the accounts office team had been confirmed positive for COVID-19 and therefore all members of that team should immediately self-isolate. What you can't do is issue an email to all staff saying Joe Soap from the warehouse has been confirmed positive for COVID-19. It's really, really important that you do not name individuals. Next question is, must we inform our employees about data processing connected with COVID-19? The answer to this is yes. If companies introduce new employee-related data processing activities or adapt existing ones, then the employees must be informed in advance to fully comply with GDPR. It is best practice in this instance to obtain explicit consent for these procedures. This consent may be physical, i.e. a signature on a piece of paper, or it can just be electronic. While you may consider vital interest to outweigh the need for consent, as with much of COVID-19 activity, we are in uncharted territory, and so we would advise you to err on the side of caution and recommend obtaining consent. Remember, it is a key principle of GDPR that any consent must be given freely and in a manner such that it can be withdrawn at any point in time. So then, the next question that follows on from that is to what extent do we need to adapt our GDPR documentation? Well, the adaptation of your internal processes due to COVID-19 measures also entails the updating of the related GDPR documentation. Again, you should consider conducting a data protection impact assessment, DPIA, and the register of processing activities under GDPR. If you're unsure how to conduct a data privacy impact assessment, please contact us via corona at insurity.co.uk. So that's C-O-R-O-N-A and then insurity is E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot And one of our specialists will be pleased to guide you through the process. Next question is, why is it necessary to review and or amend our data controller slash data processor agreements? This is specifically in the case where you may now be having employees working from home where they previously worked in the office. Implementing COVID-19 measures may lead to an increased or changed use of your IT infrastructure, i.e. more employees working from home. 
you should check carefully that your data controller and data processor agreements allow for home working. If they require amendment, you should agree this with the third party, whether that's the data controller or the data processor, before commencing home working. Again, if you require any help with this, please contact us via Corona at insurity.co.uk and one of our specialists will be pleased to guide you through the process. Next question someone's put forward is, is the concept of force majeure relevant in the context of COVID-19? Now, of course, many data controller data processor agreements contain clauses on force majeure, according to which performance obligations can be suspended in the event of epidemics. However, businesses should only rely on such clauses after a careful assessment of the individual case, as there's a high risk that the circumstances in question are not, on their own, sufficient to suspend contractual performance obligations. Any resulting data breach could lead to substantial compensation claims by the contracting party. UK government has not yet clarified whether organisations may, in individual cases, be exempted from performance obligations or demand contractual amendment due to special circumstances of the COVID-19 pandemic, even without a contractual provision. This is something we will look to come back to in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Next question, when must businesses notify their contractual parties of a delayed or impossible service? If changes to your operation, i.e. the implementation of home working, means that you'll be unable to satisfy the terms of your data controller data processor agreement or your data protection officer, your DPO, rules that the risk of a data breach by the implementation of such home working processes is too high, you should not proceed until these issues are resolved and you must notify either the data controller or the data processor without delay. Failure to notify in good time can result in claims for compensation. So whilst we're looking at that, then how does GDPR affect working from home? Well, before allowing employees to access any data which includes personal information from home, you should double-check that this does not violate your contractual obligations with third parties. For example, data control or data processor agreements may contain corresponding restrictions stating that data processing will only occur on your premises. Violations could, in the worst case, lead to contractual penalties or extraordinary termination of your data processing contract by your business partner. In addition, any accompanying measures regarding home office working that may lead to monitoring of the employee's behaviour, such as tracking of computer activities, etc., needs to be assessed carefully in order to comply with GDPR. If your employee privacy policy does not currently state that you can collate such information, you should amend your employee privacy policy and ask your employee to sign the amended privacy policy before implementing any such tracking. This signature may be electronic or physical, and again, if you need any help with that, please do get in touch with us. What kind of security measures should you make sure that your employees have in place if they're working from home? If your employees are processing personal data from home, they must still comply with all of your GDPR and data protection policies. For example, documents containing personal data must be kept confidential, i.e. out of the reach of household members or visitors. Employees should be encouraged wherever possible not to work on a computer where the screen can be observed by others. It is your responsibility to instruct your employees accordingly and to remind them to comply with your policies. If employees are using their personal computers, tablets and smartphones, to access personal data from your systems, you should ensure you have procedures in place to ensure that when the pandemic is controlled and normal office working is resumed, that you can be certain that any personal data relating to your business on those devices has been deleted. 
Any data stored on personal devices must be handled very carefully to minimise the opportunity for a data breach. Of course, remember as well that GDPR applies to paper documents as well as electronic documents. So if your employees are taking paper documents home to work on and those documents contain personal information, do make sure that A, your employee has somewhere secure to store those documents and B, that if they are going to shred the documents that they have at home a cross-tap shredder and you may need to provide them with a cross-tap shredder at home or put in some process that says they will return them to your office and you will shred them. So with all that in mind, how can you best respond to COVID-19 risks from a GDPR perspective? Well, A, keep yourself and relevant stakeholders informed and consider all available guidance. As we are currently in a rapidly evolving environment, we will ensure that we issue future updates to our guidance via the GDPR Weekly Show, so do make sure that you listen to the upcoming episodes in the upcoming weeks and months ahead. Do not assume that your current health emergency, i.e. the coronavirus pandemic, per se justifies extended data processing. And thirdly and finally, be aware of changes in your standard processes caused by COVID-19 measures. In general, every major deviation requires the completion of a data privacy impact assessment under GDPR. We recommend conducting these privacy impact assessments as required. If you're unsure of how to conduct the data privacy impact assessment, then as we said earlier, please contact us via corona at insurity.co.uk and one of our specialists will be very pleased to guide you through the process. So that's the questions that we've had for this week. If you have any questions concerning coronavirus, COVID-19, and how that affects GDPR, then please do just send us an email to corona at insurety.co.uk and we will look to answer your question in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Whilst we're on the subject of the coronavirus, one question which has come up is, what about all of the messages that the government is sending out to people's devices, even though there's an argument that says people haven't given consent for that? Well, it is actually covered under GDPR. It's actually not a breach of GDPR because GDPR has a clause accepting work in the overwhelming public interest, and that's been confirmed by the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, and also by the Secretary of State for House, Matt Hancock. When questioned about it, Matt Hancock said, GDPR does not inhibit use of data for coronavirus response. GDPR is a clause accepting work in the overwhelming public interest. No one should constrain work on responding to, on, to coronavirus due to data protection laws. We are all having to give up some of our liberties. Rights under GDPR have always been balanced against other public interests. And of course, other things which the authorities are considering, especially this week as the uh, coronavirus bill makes its way through the Houses of Parliament, are powers enabling more phone and video hearings in court cases and powers to enable police and immigration officers to enforce public health measures, including detention and isolation, if necessary, to protect the public health. Mr Handrock went on to say that the new measures we will be introducing in the emergency coronavirus bill this week will only be used when it is absolutely necessary and must be timed to maximise their effectiveness. A spokesman for the ICO said data protection and electronic communication laws 
do not stop government, the NHS or any other health professionals from sending public health messages to people either by phone, text or email as these messages are not direct marketing. Nor does it stop them using the latest technology to facilitate safe and speedy consultation and diagnosis. Public bodies may require additional protection and sharing of personal data to protect against serious threats to public health. A spokesman for the ICO went on to say, Regarding compliance with data protection, we will take into account the compelling public interest in the current health emergency. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The ICO has issued some guidance on how things should happen now that we have the coronavirus. And they've asked them in the form of some FAQs. And so I'll just quickly run through those for you. First question which was asked at the ICO is if an organisation takes longer than the required 30 days to respond to a uh, data subject information request, then will the ICO take regulatory action? And the answer from the ICO at the moment is no. They say that while we understand that resources whether they are finances or people might be diverted away from usual compliance or information government's work, we won't penalise organisations that we know need to prioritise other areas or adapt their usual approach during this extraordinary period. We can't extend statutory timescales, but we will tell people through our own communications channels that they may experience understandable delays when making information rights requests during the pandemic. The next question is specific to healthcare organisations, which is... As a healthcare organisation, can we contact individuals in relation to COVID-19 without having prior consent? This is similar to the discussion that we had in our previous article. And the response from the ICO is that data protection and electronic communication laws do not stop government, the NHS or any other health professionals from sending public health messages to people either by phone, text or email, as these messages are not direct marketing nor does it stop them using the latest technology to facilitate safe and speedy consultations and diagnosis. Public bodies may require additional protection and sharing of personal information to protect against serious threats to public health. And the other question they've answered is, can you share employees' health information to authorities for public health purposes? And the answer from the ICO is most definitely yes. It's unlikely that your organisation will have to share information with authorities about specific individuals, but if it is necessary then GDPR won't stop you from doing so. So some useful answers there from the ICO. And if we get any more uh, information or guidance like that from the ICO, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. One thing that lots of companies and organisations will, of course, be doing as part of their response to the COVID-19 coronavirus problem is issuing emails to their customers and suppliers and business partners um, to update them on what you as an organisation are doing. So we thought it was worth putting together a few quick do's and don'ts in terms of those emails, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So let's look at the do's first. Do provide specific updates on how normal service will be impacted. Most businesses are reaching out to either reassure customers about measures they are taking to keep them safe in the midst of the outbreak, i.e. you you might be using extra cleaning precautions, you might have financial protection in place, whatever, 
or to inform them of ways that the business or service will be impacted. You know, so whether you are going to have staff working remotely, staff working from home, it might be if you have physical products, you have limited stock, or you are aware you're going to have shipping delays or potentially having shipping delays, and you want to let customers know about those. But whatever it is you're trying to tell your customers about, then be specific. What measures have you taken, and how will those help the situation? How has the business or service been impacted? And what does that mean for your customers? Is there a helpline they can contact or a webpage they can refer to for more information? So all those sort of things should be within the email. But don't waffle. So be clear, be precise, make it easy to read. For example, use bullet points and headers that highlight key information. The other thing you should do in your email is you should provide information about online options or alternatives. It's safe to assume in the current climate and indeed in course in a number of countries are already in lockdown and it looks like here in the UK we could well be in lockdown, certainly in parts of the UK within the next few days. So it's safe to assume that the bulk of the people receiving your email will want to go out as it was possible if indeed they're able to leave the house at all. Therefore, where possible, provide information about online options or alternatives. So some examples, if you're a restaurant or food business of any kind, no matter how small, now that the government here in the UK has banned you from opening during the day or during the evening, any time indeed, for customers to sit in, then are you offering an online delivery service? Are you offering a telephone delivery service? Are you offering a call and collect service? If staff aren't going to be present in your branches or call centres, then how can customers contact your brand online? And uh, if you're a fitness centre or a health centre, are there online videos that you can make available? Or is there an app you can either da- your customers can either download or an app you can recommend that they can continue with their fitness programme even whilst your gym is not open? And if you're... Are in any of those categories and you're not offering any of those alternatives then perhaps now is the time to start thinking about putting them in place also think about tailoring your language to the situation people are very nervous at the moment so it's probably not the time to include any joke in your email no matter how appropriate you might think it is chances are the people receiving it aren't going to find humor funny at the present moment in time. And remember that lots of people are also worried about their financial situation, their living situation, food supplies, and indeed their children's education and future. So in short, tread lightly. Try to strike a positive or reassuring tone, but do so with care. And get as many people from all levels of your organisation to proofread and feedback on the message as you can before you actually send it out to your customers or partners or suppliers. Do direct people to your website. Many brands are falling into a trap of only making information available via email, but it should be on your website as well. If you're expecting there to be a significant impact or a significant volume of queries due to the coronavirus, it's worth creating a page for information updates, perhaps even a dedicated FAQ for coronavirus. Make sure it's well signposted. Make it obvious. You know, put, it, put it at the top of your homepage saying for details of our, how coronavirus is affecting us or how we are managing coronavirus, then click here. And not just tucked away in a footer link. And make sure, of course, that you direct customers to it from your email. The other benefit of this, of course, is it allows your email to be more concise rather than being a long, rambling document. So if they're the things you should do, what are the things that you shouldn't? Well, don't use this as a re-engagement opportunity. While this shouldn't need saying, particularly in the GDPR climate, 
There have been reports from consumers of them hearing from companies that they haven't bought from from years or at all. And so don't be tempted to use this as a marketing opportunity to re-engage with people. It's really not the time to do that. You could still fall foul of GDPR. And also people probably aren't going to be that receptive to your message anyway. So don't be tempted to do that. If people haven't heard from you for a while, then or they've already said that they don't want to hear from you, don't use this as an opportunity to get back in contact with them. So email is a great opportunity, a great way of letting people know what's happening. But don't abuse it, I think, is the message I'm trying to get over. And if you want any help with that, or any you have any questions specific to emails that you're wanting to send out, then we're always happy to look at them for you. And just so to send a copy to us at corona at insurety.co.uk, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, and we will gladly have a quick scan of your email for you and give you any advice that we can. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We want to now look at maintaining employees' privacy during the COVID-19 epidemic. As the coronavirus disease COVID-19 continues to spread, employers have to strike a balance between safety and privacy as they apply their own policies and attempt to follow laws such as GDPR. As you will know, House data is granted greater protective status under GDPR. It's one of the special categories of data. However, there are situations that override that special category. And indeed, GDPR specifically says that one of those scenarios is where the prevention or control of communicable diseases and other serious threats to health is one reason for disclosing the information. And so... Obviously, that applies in the current epidemic in which we find ourselves. So if we look back first at guiding principles, the guiding principle of GDPR is to avoid collecting, processing or disclosing data unnecessarily and, as part of that, naturally maintaining employee privacy. It's worth considering the purpose of a contemplated measure and whether that measure would reasonably accomplish its purpose based on the facts known at the time. Similar principles apply when you're transferring personal data. Whenever an employer processes its employees' personal data, employees must be on notice about what data will be used, as well as why, and what the consequences for non-disclosure would be. Now, of course, part of this is legislation, where, or government advice, where the government here in the UK certainly has advised anyone who believes that they could be suffering from COVID-19 to stay away from work for seven days, or in the case of it being a family member, for the whole family to stay isolated for 14 days under self-isolation. However, just because that's what the law says, or that's what the government has said, that doesn't mean necessarily that's what you have to do as a company. There's no reason why you couldn't give your employees longer if that's what you decide to do, if you decide that's the best way of minimising the risk to your organisation as a whole. You might also consider whether you want those employees who are off to still do some work for you or whether they are signed off sick and they do no work for you at all. That's a decision for you to make with the individual employee. But what about other information that you might want the employee to disclose to you, such as employees' personal travel? Normally, as an employer, you actually wouldn't have any right to ask your employee where they've been on their holiday. But given the current coronavirus situation, obviously that's very different because obviously you'd be much more concerned, naturally, about an employee who'd been on holiday to 
Italy or Spain than you may be if they'd been to Finland. But can you actually require your employees to disclose the details of their travel? Because the employee has a, has a right to a private life. And so it is important that you tread lightly. As long as areas of heightened epidemic concentration exist, employers can articulate a legitimate interest in asking their employees about their travel whilst they've been on holiday in the name of keeping their whole workforce safe. But employers may want to keep in mind that at some point, COVID-19 may reach community spread on a global basis, and in fact we seem to be heading that way, and therefore holding some areas as higher risk than others and requiring disclosure accordingly could be an obsolete designation. And how far do you take this? Do you just ask the employee about their travel or do you ask them whether any of their family have been abroad? Where can you draw the line? One approach is to look at what the government website on coronavirus advises you to do and the other is simply to encourage employees to disclose any potential heightened risk of exposure. So at present, someone who tests positive for COVID-19 will be required to disclose that to you as their employer. But what if they don't disclose it? Can you seek a medical opinion? Can you seek an, a, a thing from their doctor to say that's what they're suffering from? Well, no, in this case you can't because the government have set up a website where people can now go to request a medical certificate or equivalent of medical certificate they provide to you to say that COVID-19 is what they are suffering from or someone in their household is suffering from. And you have to take that at face value. So there's not really anything you can do about that. But the crucial bit here, and, and we've mentioned this earlier and we're going to come back to it again, is that whilst, of course, you will want to notify the whole of your workforce within a work unit that one of their members, one of your employees in that unit has gone positive for COVID-19 because that will affect what the rest of the employees need to do, what you can't do is you can't name that employee, and that's crucial. But that said, of course, you can't stop employees working it out for themselves. If you've only got five people working in an office, one is off sick, and suddenly you're telling the other members of that office that you've had COVID-19 in that office, it's not exactly doing rocket science for those employees to work out who it is. But that's fine. You can't stop that. So that's, you know, that's outside of your control. But what you mustn't do is you must not explicitly name them, and that is so important. So hopefully that helps a little. If you do have any more queries about what to do if an employee has been off in regard to GDPR, then do please drop us a line to corona at insurity.co.uk and one of our team of specialists will be delighted to help you. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. It emerged this week that the UK may yet follow countries like Israel and South Korea and use mobile phone data to track people who are infected with COVID-19, as well as those they may have had contact with. Such a measure had not been openly discussed in the UK until Tuesday this week, when the UK's chief scientist, Sir Patrick Valance, said tracking would have been useful earlier in the coronavirus outbreak. He also hinted that it was still under consideration for use in the UK. Valance made remarks while appearing at a parliamentary committee hearing on Tuesday. The chair of the committee, Jeremy Hunt, also the UK's former House Secretary, quizzed Sir Patrick Valance about the civil liberties implications of phone tracking and whether it might be useful in the UK. Sir Patrick responded, I think that would have been an absolutely brilliant thing to have had in January. At the beginning, 
that sort of approach makes total sense. It may well have utility later on, and it may well have utility as you go to a situation where you get the R0, a gauge for infectiousness, down, and then you want to see what happens when you release. He went on to say, those technologies certainly have a place that needs to be looked at and implemented carefully. I know that people are working very hard on that sort of approach. As you're probably aware, it was used quite extensively in China through the WeChat app that they have. Now, if the UK went down this route, obviously there would be some uh, GDPR implications, probably, although Matt Hancock says that GDPR does not inhibit the use of data for a coronavirus response. GDPR is a tool was accepting work in the overwhelming public interest. No one should constrain work on responding to coronavirus due to data protection laws. And he then went on to say, we're all having to give up some of our liberties. Rights under GDPR have always been balanced against other public interests. Now, of course, that's true. But I think most people in the UK would find it quite a major step to know that the government were tracking them via their mobile phone. But we'd be far from the only country to do it. Israel passed emergency laws this week to enable it to effectively spy on those suspected of contracting the coronavirus using phone data. South Korea, the government sent out messages alerting people to the movements of those infected with COVID-19 and which contain details on people's gender and age. And the US is also reportedly considering similar measures. Now, there is some emergency legislation, as we mentioned earlier, going through the Houses of Parliament this week, this coming week, in response to the coronavirus outbreak. Those proposals specifically do not mention mobile phone tracking, yet they do mention national security. And so it's possible that it could be sneaked in by the back door. It's something we're keeping a very close, careful eye on, and doubtless we will be able to bring you an update on that in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And finally this week, a major cruise operator has suffered a data breach just as the travel industry battles the storm created by COVID-19. Information from a database belonging to the Norwegian cruise line was discovered on the dark web by an intelligence team at DynaRisk on March the 13th. Data exposed in the incident included clear text passwords and email addresses used to log into the Norwegian Cruise Line Travel Agent portal by agents working for companies including Virgin Holidays and TUI. DynaRisk said data relating to 29,969 travel agents was breached from the portal on the agents.ncleu website on March the 12th. After verifying that the data records are legitimate credentials, we notified a Norwegian cruise line representative immediately. Despite opening our message later that day, we received no response. After five days, a representative responded to our team to discuss the breach, a Dynarist spokesperson said. Dynarist said that the incident had left agents who were already vulnerable at this time at a higher risk of cybercrime. A Dynarist spokesperson said, They are now exposed to account takeovers on numerous platforms, sophisticated phishing emails and fraud, which could put further pressure on large travel agents or, worse still, put smaller travel agents out of business. Norwegian Cruise Lines told us it has recently come to our attention that the agents.ncl.eu website may have been compromised. In an abundance of caution, we are in the process of asking certain travel partners that may have been affected to change their password for the site and any site for which they may have used the same password 
and remain vigilant of any suspicious activity or emails. We believe limited personal information was involved, specifically names of travel agencies and business contact information, such as business addresses and email. This appears to be a unique and isolated incident that involved only a regional travel partner portal, which houses marketing materials and educational information and did not involve guest data. We are deeply committed to protecting the security and confidentiality of information and regret any concern this matter may have caused. Norwegian is the third cruise line this month to be hit by a data breach. Princess Cruises and Holland America Line both reported being hacked on March the 2nd. If we receive any update on this from Norwegian Cruise Lines, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.